Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you into Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me and my gambling picks on Twitter at UndercoverGreg. Joined, as always, by our jack-of-all-trades, our podcast Twitter manager, podcast producer, and our co-host here on our NFL Pick'em Pods. He is none other than Alex Uplinger, at Alex underscore up seven on his personal account, and at full underscore slate underscore pod for the podcast Twitter that he runs. Alex, good to have you back on board. Week three is here. How you doing, my guy? Greg, I'm doing great, buddy. I'm excited for this week. This is a really fun one. It's just so many interesting lines. I'm really excited to get into it. So I do want to start. I uh, got plenty of research this week, and uh, part of that was because I really didn't have much else to do as I was waiting for you to record as we record here in the wee hours on a Thursday morning now for me too in the central time zone but um right off the bat something that I looked at since 2003 and, and this is we talked about uh you had your one trend in week two about teams that lost by double digits in week one and how they do well this is kind of an overarching trend that I want to share before we get into the rotation for week three since 2003 uh, this was from an article from last year uh, that I kind of remember from the Action Network, which I looked up and updated myself to include last year's results. But anyway, since 2003, teams that are 0-2 against the spread have gone 69-51 and against the spread in Week 3. That's a 50 not, or excuse me, 57.5% cover rate. Uh, I'll just it's my stats, so I'll just say like I think there's something to that. I think, generally speaking, we see teams uh, start to cover spreads. There's a reason they call the spread the great equalizer. Nobody's going to go 15 and two against the spread. Nobody's going to go two and 15 against the spread. Uh, and so, you know, normally you start to see teams uh, 
begin to perform up to the Vegas standards a little bit better. Uh, and uh, I will have a couple 0-2 ATS teams that I like in week three. So I don't know if you have anything about that trend, if you think that's more fluff than anything else. But as I said, since 2003, going on 20 years now, teams that are 0-2 against the spread, 69-51 and 51 ATS in week three. No, I I like that a lot. I'm in complete agreement. I I would say that would apply to Washington. They didn't cover either of their it first does. games. It does. Yep, we'll get to that one. So I think that's something to look out for. So let's jump in and go to the Thursday night primetime game where, you know, I feel like Alex. Every now and then we get a Dallas and Tampa Bay. I mean, that's the season opener. You expect a good one and. And there will be some good Thursday games throughout the course of the year. But I feel like more and more of the Thursday games ever since Thursday night football has become a weekly part of our lives have been games like this where you wouldn't really pay attention to it a ton. If it was part of the Sunday rotation, it might be like the smallest TV at the bar type game. But instead, we're all going to watch Davis Mills make his debut with the Houston Texans as the Texans are seven and a half point, eight point dogs. Looks like most books are going to eight now at home against the Carolina Panthers, total of 43 in this game. Uh, And, you know, I guess first off, I know we got burned on a first half under on Thursday night football last week, ironically with the quarterback making a season debut for Washington, Taylor Heineke, but I'm going back to the well with that same angle here and playing the first half total under you would, I would expect Houston to have a pretty vanilla game plan for Davis Mills on a short week, too. I think it's hard enough with a normal week. Short week of practice, I think, adds another layer of uh, complicated to things for the home team in this one. And then here's another reason I kind of like the first half under. Carolina is the only team in the NFL that has not played a snap yet from behind in its first two games. As the Panthers are 2-0 with a wire-to-wire victory over the New York Jets and then the same over the New Orleans Saints. Both of those games were at home, so this is the first road game for the Panthers. Um, But also, not only did the Panthers never trail in either game, but both games were pretty low scoring. And so I think that's an indicator that the Panthers have a pretty clear recipe for success here. Sam Darnold has really done well so far with Joe Brady and certainly is away from Adam Gase. And he's been protecting the football. They do have some weapons, but I don't know that Carolina wants to get into juggernaut, you know, up and down slugfest with teams. We did see them, it felt like, get into some higher scoring games with Teddy Bridgewater last year and not have a ton of success straight up. So I think if you're the Panthers, you want Darnold to protect the football, manage the game, and make the plays and hit the throws that he's asked to make, which for the most part he's done. And then you want to rely on a really good defense. Hassan Reddick has been very good since he came over from Arizona in free agency. Brian Burns, another first-round draft pick at the defensive end position, has been playing well for the Panthers. Shaq Thompson, explosive linebacker. Jeremy Chin in the secondary. There's a lot of guys on the Carolina defense that will open your eyes. So I think that the formula for Carolina is one that they will try and replicate here on a short week. That does make me hesitant to lay seven and a half, eight with the Panthers, given that, as I said, they play two low scoring games. But if I'm the Panthers, 
I'm not looking to change much here, given how much success I've had in the first two weeks. And I expect Houston to kind of go pretty vanilla and keep things pretty simple for Davis Mills in his debut. I'm thinking something like 10-7, maybe even 10-3. Carolina leading going into the half. I think we got some wiggle room on this first half under. Yeah, I love this. I love the first half under. I got this at 22.5 on FanDuel. I would still play this for sure. Panthers in 2020, they spent all their draft picks on defensive players. Right. And it's really it's really proven to be successful. They they rank first in the NFL in passing yards allowed per game. They rank first in the NFL in rushing yards allowed per game. They give up 46.5 yards per game. Granted, that's through two games, but I still really like what I've seen from this Panthers defense. They held Winston to 111 passing yards last week on 22 attempts. They also intercepted him two times. I really like this first half under. I think I'm also going to be playing a player prop here. I like McCaffrey over 47.5 receiving yards. Sure. He's cashed this both weeks. Week one, he had nine receptions on nine targets for 89 yards. And then last week, we saw him have five receptions for 65 yards. I feel like he's just a huge part of that offense and that he's going to be getting many receptions for yards. I think he can easily cover this number. But, yeah, I'm, my best play is the uh, the first half under with you. And I, I think that, I'm by the way, I'm in at 21 and a half. So uh, kudos to you there for getting, what did you say, 22 and a half? Yeah, that was early in the week on FanDuel. Yeah, I definitely agree with the way that line is ticking down on the first half total. But I also want to say, I think that what you've talked about there with McCaffrey and having success out of the backfield, I think that just goes back to the point I was making about how Darnold seems to be pretty comfortable with Joe Brady and how they're not really asking him to do a lot. I mean, if you watch even just flick in every now and then on a Panthers game, these first two against the Jets and Saints, there weren't a lot of wow plays offensively. They kind of just methodically marched down the field. And if you can dump the ball off to Christian McCaffrey and let him do his thing and let him pick up chunks of 10 or 12 at a time with those catches out of the backfield, then if it's working, why change? So I think that that's all part of the McCaffrey's success as a receiver. I mean, we know he's a good pass catcher anyway out of the backfield, but I think it's further enhanced with, their desire to kind of rebuild Darnold early on at least and not take as many chances. Maybe things open up as the season goes on for Carolina, but I definitely think early on it's probably a point of emphasis just to make things a little easier for their new quarterback. Yeah, exactly. He's been doing really well and get the best player on the field, the ball the most you can. And I think that lends well to McCaffrey, you know, the dink and dunk down the field and they really do that. Well, I think also there's some value in the first touchdown score. I'm definitely going to sprinkle that. I like Philip Lindsay 15 to one on the Texans, assuming they can even get the ball down there, but he's had a touchdown each week. And then I'm also going to sprinkle Sam Darnold 18 to one. He's mobile enough to really. He get scored down on, there. with his legs against the jets in week one. Yeah, exactly. And you know, anytime a play breaks down there in the red zone, he's going to be looking to run. I really like that as well. I do think that's a good point. Last point on this game that you made about Philip Lindsay 
just with teams that are in this price range, big underdogs, primetime games. Uh, I don't know about you. I don't play the first touchdown prop much outside of the primetime game. I think with it being the primetime, you kind of want to, you know, have, you're watching the whole thing. You want that sweat for the first drive. Are you the same way in that regard? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the only time I play first down. Right, first exactly. Down props so, like, I want to go times. back to Monday night where we had uh, Detroit as an even bigger underdog than Houston on the road in Green Bay. And I played Jamal Williams on the first touchdown prop, thinking it'd be a little bit of a revenge game for him. And they would feed him early and try and get him in. And it ended up being Quintez Cephas, uh, who I liked at the University of Wisconsin in college, picked him up in a fan league this week uh but point being when it comes to these dogs you know big primetime dogs if you're playing the first touchdown prop don't hesitate to try and take somebody like that at a price of north of 15 to 1 because at the end of the day we're just asking for them to string a drive together early in the game i mean if you don't want to back them you know on the full game spread first half line whatever i get it but i feel like People are just going to gravitate towards the big favorite thinking, well, they'll just get out and dominate the game right away. Detroit scored the first touchdown Monday night, and Green Bay still managed to cover the big 12-point spread. So I think that there's definitely some value that's to be had on the sprinkles on the first touchdown with these dogs. If you don't like them over the course of the full game, maybe look to somebody that you think might be able to cap off a drive. Uh, and you get a nice, you, you get an even bigger payout on a Philip Lindsay now than you do in a game, obviously, when the Texans are a much shorter underdog. Exactly. I, for these first touchdown props, I would never touch anyone over, you know, below 10 to 1 odds. Exactly. Like, I'm looking at first touchdown scores right now in DraftKings. I'm seeing Christian McCaffrey is only plus 330. I would never. You can't play that. It's just there's just no value there. You gotta go for the random guy. You saw that that Rams game where uh what was it Van Jefferson. Jefferson. Right. Yeah, yeah, it was like and that's 45 the to one. Yeah, just insane touchdown. They didn't touch him down and he scores and then yeah, great payday. You gotta play random guys like that if you're gonna go for that. So let's go from one AFC South underdog to another where we have the Jacksonville Jaguars as we're moving in rotation order. Jacksonville, number 470, hosting 469 Arizona. Uh, and we're seeing Arizona laying 7.5 right now. Total in this game is sitting at about 52. Um, and I know, I'm sure there are books all over the world that are looking for Jacksonville money. And uh, I'm going to give my books from Jacksonville money because uh, – this is a plug your nose and hang on by the seat of your pants play on my end, but uh, sometimes those are the best bets that you can make. And, uh, you know, I, I do think I, I talked about this on our Twitter spaces opening line conversation Sunday night. When I saw this number open, I was really just did not think Arizona was impressive whatsoever last week against Minnesota. Minnesota ripped off seven yards per play and 6.6 yards per carry, and Arizona did not force a turnover. So normally if the opposing offense has that you know good yards per play, yards per carry, and doesn't turn the ball over, 
you're not going to win the game. So I think, and obviously it came down to a missed field goal that the Vikings missed from 36 yards. So Arizona really shouldn't have won the game. I do think that from, you know, a Jacksonville side here, the 6.6 yards per carry was really what intrigued me because if you're Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence has struggled out of the gate and what better way to support your rookie quarterback than to be ripping off some good gains on the ground like I expect that James Robinson to. I think he's a sneaky DFS play, so uh, maybe not too sneaky. still a guy that was going in the third, fourth round of fantasy drafts, but point being, I would use James Robinson this week because I think that he should be able to have some lanes to run through. I mean, Dalvin Cook's an excellent back, but I was watching a lot of that game. I know you were on Minnesota, too. I was. And he was running through just gaping holes last week. And that's an Arizona, excuse me, a Minnesota offensive line that's probably towards the bottom half, maybe bottom third in offensive line rankings. So there's that. I mentioned that uh, Minnesota did not turn the ball over. Opposing quarterbacks against Arizona so far, Ryan Tannehill and Kirk Cousins, have thrown a total of just one interception in two games. And we know that Trevor Lawrence has thrown five interceptions in two games. So if it's an Arizona defense that hasn't been turning over Ryan Tannehill and Kirk Cousins, Trevor Lawrence right now, if you ranked all the quarterbacks, he'd probably fall maybe worse than Tannehill, but around Cousins area, maybe a little bit better. So why can't he protect the football in the same light? Cousins threw for 244 yards and three touchdowns last week. He actually had a pretty good game. Remember, Trevor Lawrence was the can't-miss guy. You have to take this guy. Best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. And, you know, we're not really talking about him that much right now. It's all about Justin Fields making his first start and, you know, Mac Jones seamlessly, you know, guiding the Patriots post-Cam Newton. And there's not much of a focus on Trevor Lawrence. I think he can just relax here at home. Um, As I said, Minnesota really ran the ball well. I talked about the yards per carry. 177 total rushing yards for Minnesota last week. Seems like a perfect way to help out your young quarterback if you're Jacksonville, especially because in two games this season, Jacksonville's only had 151 total rushing yards. So Minnesota with more rushing yards last week against Arizona than Jacksonville had in its first two games. All of that makes me think it's a nice spot for Trevor Lawrence to get back on track. And then I look at Arizona in a double look ahead spot with divisional games against the LA Rams and the San Francisco 49ers coming up in weeks four and five traveling cross country off of a crazy game last week. Doesn't doesn't seem like a spot Arizona gets margin in. If you're betting Arizona, you're only doing so because you think the Jags are totally inept and maybe that's true. And maybe I'm going to lose, but the Jags lost by 10 last week against Denver at home. Right now, Denver and Arizona, both two. You might want to say Arizona is better than Denver. I'm just asking the Jags to be a field goal better against a team that I think is no better than Denver. may even be a little worse. So I don't think I'm asking that much. The spot, as I said, checks out if you want to fade Arizona with the two divisional games on deck in a division as competitive as the NFC West. And you know what, Urban Meyer? I've never said a bad word about you on this podcast, so... Let's uh, get me to the window here. I've always had faith in you. So, Jags, I'm going to wait. I think this is going to be a game that moves maybe a little more. Seven and a half right now. I'd love to see an eight, maybe an eight and a half. But I'm going to plug my nose, Alex, and I'm going to take the Jags. 
I might be the most <laughs> anti-Urban Meyer person in the country. <laughs> so I on this podcast. <laughs> I, oh, my God. I just I couldn't believe this quote I heard from him this week. And by the way, the Jags, about- I didn't even include this. They are, of course, one of those teams 0-2 against the spread first two games. There you go. And that's disappointing because I took him last week. But <laughs> I heard Urban Meyer was talking to Vic Fangio, and he said, that every week is like playing Alabama. No fucking shit, dude. This is the NFL. Welcome. These are all better teams than Alabama. It reminds me of the annual debate that I feel like we have. Could Alabama beat insert X? Right. Every every single team. Like (laughs) the worst team. Yeah. Could Alabama beat this awful team? Yeah. Probably not. No. These are all professional dudes getting paid hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars to play. And then these are these are kids and, you know, just playing for beer money. But my biggest concern would be the Jacksonville defense. They've allowed yeah. 60 points through two games. And then the Cardinals offense, they rank second in the NFL. They've averaged 36 points per game. So that would be my biggest concern. But I, I think I agree here with you. I think this is only a plug your nose and take Jacksonville spot. I, I yeah, don't put your life savings on it, but. I just no, think no, absolutely not. That you want to be on. No, I completely agree. I I couldn't lay this number with with Kyler Murray turn the ball over that much. You're gonna see a couple bad plays from him, despite how how athletically freakish he is, and he makes incredible plays. And then he'll also burn you. The back door is always open at this. I I like that what you laid. Sounds like you're interested in Arizona as part of a teaser, though. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely teasing Arizona with the Ravens. I did this earlier, but because both numbers were at seven and a half, so I got them down to one and a half with the sure. six point teaser. So I can't imagine. Just curious, what your book starting to lose from Juice there? Minus one twenty. Uh, yeah, it was about that. Yeah, sure. I just can't see either of these teams losing, but I could definitely see Jacksonville covering. I wouldn't lay the seven with the Cardinals at all right now, but yeah, well, I love them. Teaser in the teaser leg, leg. not a straight yep. play. Yeah, exactly. Let's stay in the AFC South, uh, where just realizing that now, the first three games in the rotation cover all four teams in that putrid AFC South division, as we have the Indianapolis Colts traveling to Nashville to take on the Tennessee Titans uh, with Indianapolis catching five, total of 48. Carson Wentz, no boot on either one of his ankles today as we record uh, after Wednesday practice reports. So read into that as you may, but he's obviously someone with an injury history and Indianapolis does have incentive to keep him out if they think it's on the fence. Um, because if Carson Wentz plays less than 75% of their offensive snaps, then the Colts get to keep their first-round pick. If it's over that number, then the Eagles get the Colts' first-round pick, one of the conditions in the trade. So don't know if it really factors in or not, especially with Indy already at 0-2, but uh, maybe something to consider. Um, That's probably more something for later in the season, but nonetheless, throwing it out there. Uh, So maybe it's Jacob Eason, maybe it's, Carson Wentz at less than 100 percent 
I really don't have much interest in this game regardless because the Tennessee defense looks like it's still terrible. And you looked at what Arizona did to them in week one and what Seattle did in week two, you know, laying points with bad defenses when it's over a field goal is always worrisome because you talked about the back door maybe being open for Jacksonville. Well, I think Tennessee's opponents just naturally have the back door open when the defense isn't that good to begin with. And then when they have leads, they're sagging off a little bit anyway. So that's a concern uh, for me, at least enough for me to stay away. It's a total of 813 yards that Tennessee allowed against Arizona and Seattle. Now that's two explosive offenses. That's Kyler Murray. That's Russell Wilson. I understand that, but uh, I'll still pass, uh, you know, with this quarterback uncertainty for Indy, I definitely don't want it. I do think Jonathan Taylor maybe gets going a little bit more here in a matchup against a not very good defense. He had to deal with Seattle and the Rams the first two weeks, 56 and 51 rushing yards respectively in those games. So if you're desperate for action, maybe look at going over on his yards prop. I don't even think I'm going to do that, though. This is a straight pass for me. Yeah, I could... I could definitely see that prop going over. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay it with the Titans at home. I I think this is gonna be Jacob Beeson in his first NFL start. And Wentz in practice today. Two spring Can I ask, if I told I, you it was Wentz, would you feel any worse about this or no? Uh yeah, I would not be quite as confident as sure. laying the points, but I think it's going to be Eason. If it was Wentz, I would be a bit more hesitant, but I'm just going to lay it home. I think it's going to be rocking there in Nashville, and I think Jacob Eason is going to be playing. So I'm going to I'm going to lay the points. Yeah, I will say I think if I were playing the Titans, I would like them more in the first half, just based on the fact that they got off to such a bad start against Arizona at home in Week One that you would think that there's going to be a little more urgency on their part to start well at home. They had to come back last week in the second half against Seattle. Uh, so I, I, I think that too would kind of add to the fact that even though it's the Colts and Jacob Eason, like you don't want to mess around at all here and get behind uh, like you did in the first two weeks. So I, I think if you like Tennessee, I don't know if you're into stacks, Alex, but I think there's some, logic behind playing the Titans in the first half. Yeah, I definitely like that angle. I think that's a good point. I think Easton's going to be shook up on the road. I, I'm i pretty confident that he's going to start, so that's why I'm pretty much fading the Colts here this week. Sure. Let's go to the AFC North as we have the Baltimore Ravens off of a very impressive Sunday night football win against the Chiefs traveling to the Motor City to take on the Detroit Lions. And in this game, we're seeing Baltimore as an eight-point road favorite, total of 50. Uh, and I'm, I lean with the Baltimore side. Um, on one hand, uh, I don't know that it's a – I don't think it's going to be a play for me just based on the fact that you do have a Ravens team coming off a very emotional win like that against Kansas City. Uh, I don't know from a – you know, an emotional, like motivational standpoint, if you can have more opposite ends of the spectrum than prime time against Kansas City and then one o'clock Eastern kick in Detroit. So there is that. Uh, and anytime you're laying a big number, you know, you, you need the focus and motivation to be there. 
Having said that, it is John Harbaugh. He's been coaching with the Ravens for over a decade. He's won a Super Bowl there. He's somebody I still trust to kind of avoid some of those focus concerns and have his team ready to play. Detroit run defense has been middle of the pack, 227 rushing yards against in two games. It's not bad, but it's not good. We did see Elijah Mitchell's coming out party in week one for San Francisco against this Detroit run defense. So we know Baltimore really wants to pound the rock, whether it be Tyson Williams or Lamar Jackson. I'm not exactly seeing a a path for resistance from the Lions here. Last point here that makes me lean with the Baltimore side. Uh, New coaching staff for Detroit is going through a short week this early in the season. That's probably a fade. So uh, I don't know that I'll get there, but I I lean with Baltimore, and I know you like them. Yeah, I'm playing the Ravens. I got seven and a half early in the week. I would still play this at eight. I would honestly play this up to nine. I really like the Ravens in this spot. They just dominate bad teams. They're 14-0-1 straight up in their last 15 against teams with a losing record. They win on average by 17.9 points per game. They just dominate bad teams. Detroit rushing defense is not great. The Ravens, they rank six in the NFL in yards per play, and then Detroit is 27th in the yards allowed per play. So I really like the Ravens here. I think they're going to come out and dominate. I really like I really like Jackson here to put up a bunch of points. I think that would be a good good DFS play. I'm sure a lot of people would be on that. But, yeah, I really love the Ravens in this spot. I know you're saying this is kind of a sleepy spot, you know, 1 o'clock in Detroit, which I can agree with, but – I think the Ravens will come out here and handle business. I I like them to win by 10 or more. Yeah, and, you know, I will say, too, I know that you're uh, a Steelers fan, but and so you keep a close eye on this division. If Baltimore does win the division, when it comes to turning points, I I really think we're going to look back on that Week 2 game and and say that was it. I know that it's still September and a lot can still happen, but I, I could see the Ravens. Uh, and I know next week they go to Denver in a game that could get kind of interesting, but that feels like the kind of win last week on Sunday night football that really could springboard the Ravens into much bigger thing the rest of the season. And it was obviously a game that they needed because they were in danger of going to Owen too. So just something to think about uh, and something that, uh, you know, more of a narrative thing than any kind of actionable advice there. But uh, you know, I, I definitely think that I could see the Ravens getting real hot off that win. Yeah, I think that was huge. That was a very impressive win. I'm honestly shocked that they pulled that out. Granted, it was based on uh, Hilaire, you know, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire. Fumble, right. First fumble ever in his NFL career. So, you know, the, the Chiefs really had that game in the bag. But it's a huge win that move on fourth down to go for it. I love that. Love Harbaugh. Yeah. And trust right. his players. Like you gotta love that play. But yeah, I think they're gonna absolutely wax Detroit this week. I, Detroit's put together one full game. They had one great second half and then one great first half. They haven't put a full <laughs> game together right. yet. So I think the Ravens are gonna they'll clean them up here. So let's go from one team in the DMV to another as we finish talking about the Baltimore Ravens. And now we'll talk 
about the Washington football team as they head to Western New York to take on the Buffalo Bills. We're seeing Washington right now catching seven and a half on the road. Total of 45 in this game. Uh, and I gave it out on our twi- on my Twitter on Monday. Talked about it Sunday night. Washington was always going to be a lean for me at nine and a half. It was just one of those games. I didn't like a whole lot. I'm not going to give out a lot of plays. I don't. I try not to force some uh, some leans, and and I have a prop later on that I'll probably play. But Washington was one when I looked at the opening lines. You do that first glance for ten minutes, then we come on and do our our spaces conversation on Twitter. And uh, I was looking at Washington just thinking that that number was pretty inflated because it opened nine and a half. I ended up on Monday getting in at nine and, you know, we're seeing this tick down to seven and a half. If you haven't played it yet, you know, you can still get in North of seven by all means do it because I do think that the football team is, uh, is a worthwhile side here. Uh, Ron Rivera called his defense out saying that they've been quote, so disappointing at times or his exact line. So I'm expecting Washington to respond. Who was with these guys last year, defensive-minded coach at that, with these guys last year when they won the NFC East. Um, and they did it. So they, they were successful last year on the heels of their defense. So the personnel is mostly the same. I, I Maybe it's going to be a, a, an underachieving unit the whole way, but... They're coming out of the mini buy, having played last Thursday night. I think that this is a nice get right opportunity for the Washington defense. And as I said, Ron Rivera not happy with a unit that he knows well, having won a division with them last year. I think the Washington defense bounces back. I also think from an emotional standpoint, that was a really big big win in prime time for the Ravens. Maybe not as big for Washington. Because they're in the NFC East, but still, uh, to get that win, I think pretty important. Chase Young was real fired up in his post game interview, and I could see Washington and the Giants kind of going in opposite directions after that one. And you know, when we go to the offensive side of the ball, I think we all kind of had the notion out there that having seen Taylor Heineke in the playoffs last year against Tampa Bay, that there wasn't this big drop off from. Ryan Fitzpatrick to Taylor Heineke. And that really proved to be true when you looked at how they played last week. He was still able to get the ball to Terry McLaurin. And it wasn't like Antonio Gibson was running against a bunch of stacked boxes, 13 carries for 69 yards. So that's over five yards a clip. J.D. McKissick proved to be a pretty good safety valve, which you always like for a quarterback getting in there for the first time. And Logan Thomas, the tight end, can always be that safety blanket too. He had five catches, so I'm not that concerned about Washington on the offensive side of the ball. Talked about how I think the defense bounces back. Then when we look at the Buffalo angle, you, de- you dig a little deeper into the score, bo- the box score, excuse me, from last week. Buffalo scored 35 points against Miami and shut them out 35 nothing. But Buffalo only had 314 yards of offense, which isn't a drastically low number, but. I would expect a little bit more out of a Buffalo offense that has Josh Allen, that has Stephon Diggs, that we expect to be a juggernaut, really, and was most of last year. 314 yards in a game in which you score 35 points seems low. And then you dig into it a little bit more. 
Well, their first touchdown came on their second play from scrimmage, which is a 46-yard run from Devin Singletary. It was a 46-yard drive. That was the whole drive. They started inside uh, the the 50-yard line on the plus side of the field in Miami territory. Buffalo's second scoring drive, they started on its own 48-yard line, so had to just go 52 yards. Later on in the game, they had another scoring drive uh, that was just a 41-yard touchdown drive because Miami had turned the ball over on downs. It was getting late. Dolphins were getting desperate. So only two of the five scoring drives for Buffalo last week did it have to go the whole field. That's something that I would want to bet against anyway. And, you know, you would just expect that regression to where field position won't be as favorable. And against the defense in Washington that I think is going to get bounced back. It's also why I don't want to give this many points with Buffalo. I think this is going to be a very competitive game. You talked about it, and I think you texted me that we saw Buffalo struggle with that Pittsburgh pass rush uh, and T.J. Watt. I could really see the same thing happening here. Of course, Pittsburgh won that game outright in Buffalo, 23-16. I think we get a similar score where the winner is in the low 20s and the loser is in the upper teens. I don't know who wins, but you're gonna. I got nine points. Like that, that just feels like points worth taking. I'd still take Washington now at seven and a half. I completely agree. I'm with you here. And that trend you said earlier is one of those right. to look yeah. at for this Another one. Another 0-2 against the spread team with Washington. Yeah, which are hitting at 59.6% against the spread as underdogs in week three. And, yeah, my biggest concern here is the defense, which arguably Washington, their better team here, is the defense. So I think they're going to bounce back. You got the long week, like you were saying. It's kind of a mini buy coming off a Thursday night win. So, can they adapt to the RP? Daniel Jones looked incredible sure. on Thursday yeah. night. I mean, he was making Landon Collins look like just slow. Daniel Jones runs a 4840, and you see Landon Collins is lagging behind. So, that that would be my biggest concern. But this Washington defense has so many playmakers really strong, especially in the front four. Like you were saying, that pass rush is really strong, arguably better than Pittsburgh's this this year. You, you had Bud Dupree go to, go to Tennessee, and then he was replaced by Ingram, and that's quite a drop-off. I think Washington has a way better pass rush. But can they adapt? and beat this RPO. Allen is definitely way better. Josh Allen is way better than, than Daniel Jones is in that aspect of the game. Can they adapt there? I think Ron Rivera as a defensive mind, and you have Jack Del Rio in there. I think they're going to be drilling this the entire week. My biggest concern is Heineke making his first ever road start. That's a bit of a worry in Buffalo. It's definitely a a massive crowd, insane home environment. I think that's one of the better in the NFL. But I really like the defense to step up. Yeah, I'm I'm loving this number. I'm I'm definitely with you on this. Last point here, Alex. Do you agree with some of what I was saying about the Buffalo box score last week against Miami, where it kind of just felt like circumstances lined up. Tua gets hurt. Dolphins turn the ball over a little bit and. Buffalo's in these advantageous positions offensively and obviously to its credit took advantage, but 
you know, it it didn't seem for 35 nothings. You know, I I've seen more dominant 35 nothings than that one last week. Is kind of the point I was making. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It feels like Josh Allen has kind of regressed a bit. You see, last week he was he was 17 for 33 for only 179 yards, one interception. It feels like a strong regression compared to what that, we saw what last saying. week. Like, we we have two games to go off of, and one is last week's where I think there's a lot of misleading elements like I'm getting at with Buffalo offensively, and then the other one they scored 16 points and lost outright as a six-and-a-half-point home favorite. Yeah, it just feels like the offense has taken a drastic setback. Like you were saying, their their biggest play came from Devin Singletary on the ground, 46 yards, touchdown, and that was huge. And, but Allen, yeah, did not look great against his Miami defense, despite winning, yeah, 35-0. to zero. He still only completed 17 right. for 33. Yeah, it felt like a drastic setback. And I really think Washington's defense takes a drastic step up. And they have all the playmakers in the world. They added William Jackson III, who was sure. a great shutdown yeah. corner, who really solidifies that secondary from – on paper, what you would think they would do. So I think it's time for them to really step up and show why they were projected as one of the top five defenses. I think they're going to have a great game. I think they're going to get after it and figure out the RPO. And, yeah, I think this is a great number. This feels like way too high. I think the defense is going to really hold them down. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this game goes down to the last possession. Yeah, I completely agree. So let's go to another team in the AFC East. Uh, ironically, another home favorite in the AFC East as it's the New England Patriots. Rotation number four, seven, eight. Welcoming in the New Orleans Saints, laying three at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, a total of 42. Um, I passed on this side, Alex. Uh, I think that, uh, oh, I, I wanted to point to that, that that total with uh, the New England, New Orleans game is the tied with the Jets and the Broncos is the lowest total on the board for the week. So um, I'll speak more about the total in a minute. Um, I passed on the side. I would probably lean with New England, uh, but the Patriots, like, and we were on it last week against the Jets, and the Patriots covered easily, won the game 25-6, but they didn't really do a lot with the Zach Wilson interceptions. It kind of just felt like, you know, the game was just kind of on, like, slow-mo all game. Like, there wasn't – like, Damian Harris had one sick run. And other than that, like, I was watching because I was involved in bet, bet New England as the road chalk, but it was not a very fun game to watch. And New England, kind of speaking to my point about how it didn't feel like they were doing a ton with the interceptions, uh, they actually got outgained in the game despite winning 25-6, they were outgained by the Jets 336 to 260. So, you know, they just kind of got by given the fact that Zach Wilson was a mess turning the ball over, which could easily happen again here with Jameis. We know he's definitely one to turn the ball over a lot. Uh, And I lean with New England on the basis that they played pretty well, I felt, in terms of the stats against Miami week one at home and should have won. And I almost 
think that they're probably saying a lot of the same things in practice that I'm saying now about how the fact that, yeah, they won 25-6, but it was just kind of a going through the motions victory. I think they know they need to be better than what they were in week two against the Jets in order to beat this Saints team. So, uh, therefore, though, it's still a pass on the side. I think if New Orleans had won last week against New England, I, or excuse me, against Carolina, then I would get there with the New England side because think about all the circumstances right now for the Saints. They had to open the season in Jacksonville because they couldn't play with Hurricane Ida, you know, going through New Orleans there. Now they've had two road games, and this is the second. Well, and of the and now their now their stadium is on fire. Right, exactly. Yeah, so like, oh my God. I don't really know what Talk what's been going on. Like, I don't know if they've been staying in hotels or like what their situation has been the last three weeks or so. Sounds like they're still going to be able to play at home in week four. But in in other words, the reason I think I would fade New Orleans had they won against Carolina was because then they're two and zero. Oh, Maybe they're thinking, all right, well, we're at the end of this weird stretch. We're going to get back to playing in the Superdome week four, and they kind of pack it in. But they lost that game, and so I decided to look into Sean Payton off a loss because we talked a lot last week about Belichick off a loss. Well, Sean Payton's pretty damn good off a loss as well. He was hired in New Orleans in 2006, was his first season, 52-34 and 34 against the spread. New Orleans Saints off a loss in that time period. That's a 60.5% cover rate. So uh, Peyton does pretty well off losses as well. I do think I could look for a contrarian overplay here uh, at lowest total on the board at 42. Like I said, New England didn't really do a lot with all those turnovers. I think they can be better offensively. I think because they got the turnovers, they didn't really need to show a lot offensively. So not only is Sean Payton a good offensive mind, but Josh McDaniels, pretty good offensive mind. I could see him having some more tricks in his bag this week that he just didn't need last week. So uh, we know that Jameis, too, is a high-risk, high-reward quarterback, which is great for overs because he's either going to hit some big plays or he's going to throw a pick and the the Pats are going to have good field position. So I lean with the over if I were to play this game, uh, but I don't know that I'll get there at all. Interesting game with two kind of fringe playoff teams in the NFC and the AFC, but uh, it's hard for me to gamble on this one. Yeah, this is a fun one, but I can't really get there with either as well. Like you were saying, Patriots only scored 25 points, and they had four interceptions from Zach Wilson. Great field position. Couldn't really punch it in for that many points, but you have that high-risk, high-reward Jameis Winston. I think it'll be fun. I would definitely lean the over. I think I might ultimately get there. I'm hoping for a couple garbage-time touchdowns from Wilson. You know he's going to be throwing the ball the entire time. New Orleans offense is definitely built around him, oddly enough. <laughs> yeah, I think I would I would probably get there close with the with the over like you're saying. So let's move on and go to what may be the game of the week. Certainly, actually, it probably is the Rams and the uh, Bucks in the late window, but definitely the best game in the early window. And that's the Los Angeles Chargers going to Arrowhead Stadium to visit the Kansas City Chiefs. 
And we're seeing the Chargers catching six and a half on the road, total of 54 and a half. Um, and I have to lean with the Chargers. I don't think I'll play it, but divisional dog here, uh, divisional dogs. We talked, I feel like we talk about this every week. They've just been very good bets. And we have a few of them this week. Uh, Indianapolis, every week, Chargers, it, Eagles. It, it's yeah. kind of a, it's kind of a blind play for some. I hear, I hear some pros that just, you just blindly play divisional dogs. And I, I don't hate it. I don't hate it, especially yeah, in this game. You, you, and you think about the logic. I, I kind of understand it. The right, teams they know, know each other. Well, they know right. each other, yeah. Which lends itself to competitive games usually, and therefore you want to take points. But having said that, uh, you know, as I said, I lean with the Chargers, primarily because the Chargers' defense held the Cowboys' offense at bay last week, and they kept it to a lower-scoring game. Uh, and, and they're getting the touchdown here. So, uh, you know, you look at the Chargers and what they've done. I know different coaching staff, but what they've done in recent games against Kansas City, last year they went one and one straight up. Uh, and so they got an outright win. Granted, it was week 17 when the Chiefs weren't playing anyone. But they also got a cover early on in the season at SoFi Stadium against Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. So, they lost by three as nine-point home dogs in that game. So, uh, you know, go back even further. Look at the Mahomes era against the Chargers. He's made three other starts. Granted, he's won, uh, excuse me, four other starts. He's won three of them, one by 10, one by seven, one by 10 again. One of those 10-point wins was as a nine, nine-and-a-half-point home favorite, though. So the game's kind of close right on the number and actually there was a Thursday night game that uh, I believe Mike Williams had a late touchdown in and the Chargers won the game at Arrowhead so the Chargers have just been competitive against the Chiefs in the Mahomes era and I'd argue the Chargers are better now than they were last year or pre-Justin Herbert so I definitely think it's the side but Andy Reid off a loss, just finished talking about Peyton, how he's good off a loss. Belichick's good off a loss. Good coaches tend to bounce back. So a lean for me, uh, but I I definitely think it's the side if you're going to play this game to take the points with the road team. Yeah, I think I'll ultimately get there with the Chargers. The Chiefs just haven't been covering that well. Last season, they were 8-11 against the spread. And they're four and five against the spread when home favorites last year. This season, they're 0 and two against the spread. Chiefs also currently have the worst rush defense in the NFL. They've allowed 202 yards per game on average through two games. So I think that might lend well. I'm seeing Eckler over 56.5 rushing yards, which I really like. I think they're going to pound the ball, especially after. Herbert had those two costly interceptions in the red zone against Dallas. Well, that's interesting. So based on what I was saying about how the Chargers defense was able to kind of keep all the weapons for Dallas at bay to an extent and keep it to a lower scoring game. And now you're saying Kansas City a little more vulnerable on the ground, like kind of talking, talking me into the under a little bit as well. Yeah, exactly. I think, I, I think it is a, 
a little bit high of a total, especially with how bad the the Chiefs' rushing defense is. I think Eckler is going to get going. I think they'll really lean on the rushing game. Yeah, I could see this going under as well. So it looks like some agreement on the side. Alex ultimately going to get there and play the Chargers plus the points. Uh, hopefully, uh, I was on them last week. Did you end up playing that one, or did you stay away? The Chargers as the short favorite at home. I did, unfortunately. Yeah, it was a tough <laughs> that loss. Was it was frustrating. With uh, they were down three there, and they got into the red zone late, and I think Jared Cook had scored, and it got called back, and they would have yeah. kicked the extra point and gone up four, and then Dallas would have needed a. Uh, you know, a field goal, and it would have been would have been different. I, I think I'm remembering correctly. Sometimes these games all get yeah, mixed. No, you, sound familiar? You are. They, yeah, they they scored a touchdown. They got called back, and then they didn't they didn't score ultimately. And then they kicked a field goal to tie, and then Dallas won with a field goal. Yep, yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you remember so, correctly. You know, the whole brutal. drive for Dallas would have been different, needing a touchdown. And as I said, the Chargers defense was playing pretty well, and. No, we're still holding out hope. It was a 56. Yeah, yard. that's kind of why why I love the the Chargers here. I was honestly impressed with their defense. The right. Weeks, well, they got some good players. I know they lost Melvin yeah. Ingram, but Derwin yeah, James, Derwin Troy James Bosa, back. like yeah. yeah, they still have a lot of playmakers on the defensive side. Right. Well, Let's keep things moving and go to a less interesting game. But hey, all tickets cash the same, and I, I have a play on this one as we have the Atlanta Falcons going to MetLife Stadium to take on the New York Giants. And we're seeing Atlanta as a road underdog in this game as this game is currently sitting at the key number of three with the Giants laying it. Total of 47 and a half. And I was leaning Atlanta most of the week and I think you talked about this game in our opening line conversation. I ultimately decided to get there and play Atlanta plus the field goal Another one of the 0-2 ATS teams with Atlanta. And and, and I, I think, too, that I almost like it more in this particular spot because, you know, like I'm on Jacksonville. Like, they weren't really close to covering either of their games. I guess week two against Denver, they were kind of close, but Denver still had the lead most of the way. Um, obviously, Washington, that game was kind of back and forth. Can't really say that they should have covered. And they were behind against the Chargers in their first game. So, like, Washington 0-2 feels like a pretty legit 0-2 ATS record. Well, the the Falcons really should have at least covered that number last week against the Bucks, And they were right in the game. Like, they were down three after three quarters. And it just got out of hand in the fourth quarter. A couple defensive touchdowns for the Bucks, And next thing you know, the Bucks run away with the game. But... I do think there's – so, anyway, that's my point about how Atlanta's 0-2 against the spread, but they really should be 1-1 against the spread if they had just not self-destructed in that fourth quarter. So, that makes me think that the Falcons uh, are, are going to cover this number and probably, I think, win this game because the Falcons' offense started to get going a little bit more. I, if you fantasy people out there – if there's anybody in your league panicking on Kyle Pitts or Calvin Ridley, I'd buy low. Matt Ryan is obviously in his last days. You know, maybe they're numbered. We'll see how much time he's got left in Atlanta. But I still think he can get these guys the ball and move the ball down the field and 
have the Falcons scoring three, four touchdowns a week, something like that. And Arthur Smith's an offensive mind I, I'm high on. Just been two games. He was getting his feet wet that first game against the Eagles. And like I said, they were right there against the Bucks and just blew up in the fourth quarter. I mean, they could have had a chance to win that game to only down a field goal at the, at the end of the third, as crazy as that sounds, against the Bucs. And instead, they don't even cover a double-digit spread. So I think Atlanta is due to kind of get off the schneid. And then you look at the Giants. How do you feel good back in this team of short chalk? I mean, what's even going on in the locker room? Kenny Galladay and Daniel Jones beefing. You know, when you lose a game like that, Darius Slayton drops a wide-open touchdown last week on Thursday Night Football. Dexter Lawrence jumps offside. They get another chance, and Hopkins makes the second time around to send the football team to a walk-off victory. It's just a lot of stuff right now on the field and off, whether it's the drops or the penalty or the off the, the nonsense with Galladay and Jones. And they're a three-point favorite. No, thank you. I think Atlanta gets the first win in the Arthur Smith era, but I will take the three points. Yeah, this feels way too high. I'm seeing through two weeks, home favorites are five and 13 against the spread. That's only I'm glad you brought that up percent. because that was another thing going into week two. Daniel Jones, really good against the spread on the road, but has been ugly at home. At home, especially as a favorite. I I can't back that. I, I think this over feels a little low. And like you were saying, I think Kyle Pitts gets going. I think Arthur Smith is going to have a great game plan going in here. Giants ranked 25th right now in the NFL. They've allowed 287.6 passing yards per game. I think Kyle Pitts over 52.5 receiving yards is a good look. Last week against Tampa, he had 73. That's arguably a better secondary, give or take. Maybe more so comparable secondaries and both not great. Like Atlanta last week, they it looked really good coming out. And then, yeah, they gave up two pick sixes and 21 points unanswered to, to not cover. So that was, that was pretty brutal for my fellow Atlanta backers. I, I've just told myself I, I can't bet the fucking Falcons. And I really. You were on that last week? Yeah, I oh, hated every fucking second. Cool. <laughs> it was so brutal. Mike Edwards? Who the fuck is that? Who that's even is that? That guy might have been elevated from the practice squad. I've literally never heard of him on the Tampa secondary. And he scores two touchdowns for the defense. And it was just the floodgates were open. 21 and answer. Then Atlanta was just done from there. But I do really like this Atlanta offense. I, I like all their weapons. And the Giants secondary really hasn't been showing much yet. Which is weird because they brought in a Dory Jackson. James Bradbury's been good. But, yeah, right. Terry McLaurin basically did whatever he wanted last week. Absolutely. He did. Yeah. I would say this is Atlanta or pass. I think more so I would be on the over, if anything. So let's go to a trio of AFC teams. We'll get to a division game uh, between the Packers, excuse me, the Steelers and the Bengals in a second. But first, we have Justin Fields making his NFL debut, traveling to Lake Erie to take on the Cleveland Browns. 
Bears are catching seven in this game, total of 40 to five and a half. Not much for me here. Fields going back not too far from Columbus where he played as an Ohio State Buckeye. So I'm sure there will be some Buckeye faithful out to support Fields. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. making a season debut for Cleveland. So you have that as well. Uh, I would lean to Cleveland just on the fact that I like to fade rookie quarterbacks when they make their first start, uh, which is what we have here. Uh, so, you know, you, you do have that going for you, but I, I think, uh, the first half under might be an interesting look here. If you're looking to play this game, maybe Chicago, you talked about David Montgomery, maybe just getting a ton of carries early in this game and, and they try and put in a conservative game plan for fields out of the gate. Uh, and then you look at Chicago on the defensive side of the ball last week against Cincinnati, they were excellent. Bengals only had 248 yards of offense. Joe Burrow threw three picks, got sacked five times. Uh, so that Monsters of the Midway defense still has it. At least it looked like they did last week. So now this Cleveland offensive line is much, 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 much better than Cincinnati's. I mean, that's night and day. Having said that, though, um, you know, I, I think that if Chicago is going to have any chance, their defense is going to have to show up again. And again, I could see them kind of being a little conservative with fields early on, making me think first half under, uh, but not much for me other than that on this game. Yeah, not much for me either, especially with Baker Mayfield, a little bit banged up. You saw him come back after that. Right, and I did actually write that down. Maybe that, depending on how he's feeling this week, maybe that too. Results in Cleveland. I mean, we know they run a lot anyway, but, you know, something to think about. Yeah, absolutely. They they run a ton regardless whether his health is a concern or not. I mean, if he's 100%, they're still going to run the ball a ton. I think Nick Chubb is going to really, you know, run the ball a lot. And David Montgomery has had, like, 46 carries in two games, and, I think with Fields making his first start ever, especially like you're saying in Ohio as Ohio State grad, oh wait, got to be all the all the pressure in the world. So yeah, I I lean the the first half under as well with you. I would lean the Bears, but I can't quite get there with you. So now let's get to that game between a pair of AFC North rivals with the Cincinnati Bengals going to the catch-up bottle to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cincinnati is a three-point road underdog total of 43-and-a-half. Alex, all I have on my notes for this game, lean Cincinnati, what's going on with the Steelers? Feels like they are the worst one-and-one team of all time. (laughs) That's quite the quick breakdown here. I I completely agree. I I think the only play here is on the Cincinnati side. The the Steelers secondary is is fucking putrid. They they rank 29th in the NFL right now. They they allowed 313 yards per game through two. Without JJ Watt, they just look terrible. Carr really lit him up. He, he had 38, 382 passing yards. Sorry. And just without J.J. Watt, they looked 
absolutely lost. The secondary is terrible without TJ Watt. pressure. TJ Watt. Yeah. <laughs> and Big Ben, he didn't practice today. I I can't imagine he plays. So it's going to be Mason Rudolph. I can't get there. I would never back the Steelers team right now, especially as home chalk. I'm seeing threes now. It looks like three. Saw the Bengals at four and a half earlier in the week. Yeah, I can't imagine that Mason Rudolph comes out there lighting it up. I would I would bench every Steelers starter you have. Deontay Johnson He's got been hurt. hurt at the yeah. end of the game. Oh my God. Just a terrible you for the Penguins? Yeah, I heard on the last play. It's just it's just terrible. There's nothing going right in Pittsburgh right now. I can't imagine Ben plays. I would be surprised if Watt played, and then Bud Dupree is now in Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah, I just I can't see it with this. The Steelers' defense is just crippled without that Watt pressure. He really makes or breaks his defense. I I would I would not play this. I would lean Cincinnati for sure. Let's go to the first game in the late afternoon window and. It is the Miami Dolphins going to Sin City to take on the Las Vegas Raiders. Vegas is a four-point home favorite in this game, total of 45. I don't want anything to do with this side, Alex. I mean, I, I'm just having a hard time. I know you're on Tennessee against Indy, assuming that it's Jacob Eason, although you played it anyway. Some of these quarterbacks, like, not playing the side in the Thursday night game with Davis Mills. Like, it's just I don't know what the game plan is going to be. Uh, and it's difficult to know what these offenses are going to look like. And maybe, if you know, what because now it might be natural to think here, oh, well, it's just four Raiders are playing well, back to Raiders. But Brissett has been around the block. They do have some playmakers. If he can get the ball downfield to a Will Fuller or a Jalen Waddle on a big play here or there, then – you know, that that can be a game-changing type play at any point with those guys in the speed, especially a guy like Waddle has. So I don't really want anything to do with this side. I'm surprised that it, the Raiders are 2-0. and Of all the 2-0 and teams, they, they're probably the most surprising right now, having won a pair of games as short dogs against two AFC North teams, Baltimore and Pittsburgh. I do have a prop that I'm probably going to be playing I'm going to be looking at Henry Ruggs' receptions prop, and I'm going to be looking to go under. Uh, Henry Ruggs just came off of a nice game when he had five catches for 113 yards and a score against the Steelers. And it's obviously not a very good Raiders receiving core, uh, but despite the fact that Henry Ruggs was the first-round pick coming out of Alabama, he doesn't always get heavily targeted. And, you know, he's kind of a boomer bust guy anyway. And I would still expect him to draw a lot of Xavier Howard here, who's one of the best cover corners in the National Football League. So you couple the fact that he's coming off of a good game, and therefore I would expect Howard to be on him most of the game here. And his career thus far has just been up and down to begin with. Um, I, I think it's probably a little more, obviously, Darren Waller, but then maybe one of Brian Edwards or, or Hunter Renfro catches more balls. I don't see Ruggs doing much. I'm probably going to be looking to play his receptions prop under. And I don't want to play his yards, by the way, because it's Ruggs. I mean, we know that he could have that one big play, but 
you know, a, an under three and a half, under three even receptions prop, depending on, you know, the props on all out right now. But that's something I'm interested in. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that would also lend to the full game under. I'm looking at 45 right now. That feels a little high. I don't know if there's that much drop-off between Tua and Jacoby Brissett, so that's kind of why I'm not going to take a side here. Might lean Dolphins with the points, but Raiders have been very impressive, so I can't really get the side side here. Yeah, I, I would think that's a really good prop. I like that a lot, actually. I might I might play that myself. I I think the full game under here is a good play. You know, I I, I feel like this is something I look at more in the playoffs because I tend I I'll play a prop here or a prop there in the regular season, but you know, not hitting the prop market as hard in the playoffs. But Alex, like, or excuse me, in the regular season, Alex, something I've thought about though is like, I, and I've noticed this when I look to handicap a Super Bowl or a playoff game, like if I like the game under the total, then there's normally a couple of props that I like under as well. Do you find that to be the case where you kind of look to props and totals to be correlated? Uh, for sure. If I'm looking at a totals go over, I really like to play player props over the total. If I'm looking at it over, yeah, I like to do some anytime touchdown plays if I think it's going to be a high scoring game. But like you're saying, you're going to see, you know, rugs on some of the best corners that Miami have. And it's a really strong secondary they have. Yeah, I like that under. Yeah, if you think this is a more high-scoring game, which I do not, then you look at any time touchdown. That's kind of where I go. Interesting. Okay, that's, that's, that's something to think about moving forward. Let's go to what probably – is the we're gonna go from the least exciting game here with the Jets and Broncos to probably the most exciting game with the Bucks and Rams. So I don't think we have a lot to talk about here with the Jets making the trip to the Mile High City. Uh, I have in my notes game that gets this is the game that gets but there's always one of these every week. Game that gets thrown on the smallest TV at the bar and the only people watching are the ones that are fans of Gangrene or the Broncos. I mean, here's the thing. Like the Broncos, you'll see one. You'll see one Mark Sanchez jersey out there. You know, just a <laughs> Tebow, the Tebow maybe, game. There it is. <laughs> yeah, that's a Tebow revenge game. There you go. Jets and Jets and Denver, obviously two of Tebow's teams. But no, I, I like how good are they? It's it's hard to hard to say. Like I, I've liked Denver in the past. I've always thought they've had good defenses. I like their young skill players, even still without Jerry Judy. We saw Cortland Sutton have a really nice game last week. Two really good backs in Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams that can make big plays at any time. Noah Fant, first-round pick, tight end. You know, K.J. Hamler can be a a spark plug, explosive guy. So, like, how good do you think Denver is? Like, I'm not really sure yet because it's – it's the Giants on the road and it's Jacksonville on the road and winning on the road's tough against anybody, but that's two of the bottom five teams in the league right now. Yeah, and I just I hate laying double digits, especially with a home favorite. 
But you have Teddy Two Gloves. Covers. He covers everything. He just stays covering. I, it's just such a high number. The back door is always open. You have that garbage time touchdown. I, I don't know if I trust the Broncos defense quite enough to lay this big of a number. Yeah, I, I don't trust him either. And just last thing, talking about how New England didn't really take full advantage of all those Zach Wilson turnovers. Well, if he's just able to protect the ball a little bit more, then like I could see how the Jets cover the spread. Like they lost by 19 in a game in which Wilson threw four picks. Okay. Well, they're getting 10 and a half here. Say he throws one pick, you know, or maybe even two. Like could that could a 19 point loss against New England turn into a 10 point loss against Denver? Like, yeah, I guess it could. Like, I'm not betting the Jets, but I just think if they protect the ball and their defense kind of held its own last week with only 260 yards allowed against New England. So if their defense can hold their own and they can protect the ball, then they're going to have a shot to cover this number. But I'm plugging my nose on Jacksonville, so I don't want to be plugging my nose all NFL Sunday here and be doing it in the late window, too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I completely agree. It's it's very tough to take that many underdogs, especially in that Denver altitude. I think that might have something to do with it. Well, you, you know, Zach Wilson, BYU, I don't know, Salt Lake True. City. Good point, yeah. Altitude that could be used to the, the rest of the Jets probably are not. I don't know, their defense might be huffing and puffing. I, I would not be counting on them to to cover this spread. Alex, one other thing. If Teddy Two Gloves is able to cover another number here, and you're right about Baltimore, and they go to Detroit and blow them out, I'll say it right now. That is going to be the game if we come on our Twitter Spaces conversation Sunday night. Baltimore going to Denver week four. That's the opening line that I'm most interested in, assuming that it's 3-0 and Denver hosting 2-1 and Baltimore. Oh, yeah, especially it being in Denver. Exactly. It's going to be one of the more interesting games for sure. I'll be definitely looking at that early. Let's move forward and go to the more exciting game in the late window, that's for sure, as it's the L.A. Rams back at SoFi Stadium hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the Rams are a short dog here of about a point, point and a half, total of 55 I got to lean with the home dog here with the Rams. I mean, I would expect, like, there's more, way more on the line here for the Rams. Not that, like, obviously the Rams could lose this game, and no, there's no shame in losing to the box. But if you're the Rams, this is why you just acquired Matthew Stafford, to be able to go toe-to-toe with Tom Brady. And what's the one area of weakness with Tampa Bay? If you can pick apart their secondary like Patrick Mahomes did in the regular season game last year, that's how you can beat them. So now they have a quarterback. They obviously upgraded there, going from Goff to Stafford, and they still have all the playmakers that they've had. So I think that this is a state a statement opportunity here for Stafford and the Rams. Antonio Brown put on the COVID list, probably not going to play. That's not official, but he's got a couple of hurdles to clear and just about 72 hours here. Uh, so that part of it could be tough for AB to get out there. And, of course, 
he was kind of a non-factor in the game against Atlanta, and they still put up a bunch of points. Uh, so maybe it doesn't matter. But, uh, you know, also with Tampa, talked about how that final score is a little misleading with the defensive touchdowns. Wouldn't expect Stafford to turn the ball over the same way that Ryan did last week. Alex, last point here. Maybe I'm reaching a bit, but Tom Brady has had some bad games in September where, remember the Monday night game back in 2014 at Arrowhead where Kansas City won 41-14? And everybody was just like, well, that's it. Patriots, it's all over, you know? And <laughs> Yeah, Patriots were done. And, and Season that was, was over. the year that they went on. That was the year they went on to beat Seattle yep. in the Super Bowl, the Malcolm Butler yep. game. Won the Super Bowl, yeah. And then I'm going to give you another tough one. tough to write off. Tough, tough to write off, Tom. Oh, 100%. But I'll give you another game that happened in a regular season in which they won the 2018 Week 3. Bill Belichick going against one of his pupils, Matt Patricia, in Detroit. Sunday Night Football. Belichick off a loss. And the Patriots look completely lifeless. They lose the game... 26 to 10 and you know they looked horrible they fell to one and two they went on to win the super bowl that year too and beat the la rams in the super bowl for their sixth so i guess what i'm getting at here is if you like the rams it might sound like like you might not want to do it because it's the box they're two and oh but i would look at an alternate line too because if Brady just doesn't have it and he's going against this Rams defense I, I could see him being the type to be like all right you know in the middle of third quarter throws a pick and a seven point game becomes 14 and you know, I could see him being like well we'll get these guys when it counts and having that kind of a mindset so I don't know how I'm playing this game yet, but I will say I think the Rams are kind of interesting on an alternate line where you're getting, you know, a minus five and a half or a minus six on like a plus 250, something like that. What what do you think about that? Yeah, I don't hate that at all. I would definitely lean the Rams. I think I'm going to play them on the money line. It's just this Rams, the Tampa secondary is just not great. They, 30th in the NFL right now. They have allowed 342 passing yards per game. I really think they're they're not great. You saw it took two Mike Edwards touchdowns. I mean, we don't even know who Mike Edwards is, and he returned to for <laughs> a score. Like, who the hell is that guy? But my only concern, and I I saw this today. The head ref, Craig Wolstead, from 2014 to 2020, he's officiated 107 games. And the visitors have covered 60% of the time. So that would be the bus. Love some refs. At, at the Rams. Yeah, I usually don't pull these. I just randomly saw this. I usually don't pull the ref stats up. But it's definitely it's interesting the one to ref consider. In the NBA. Was it Scott Foster where when he did a Chris Paul game, like Chris Paul's teams were screwed? Yeah, it was exactly that. He never won a game with <laughs> him wrapping the which is insane. You know, it's a team sport. I think it's like Tim Donahue 
exactly. It up. It's hard to believe, but there are <laughs> these trends to consider for sure. But yeah, I got to lean the Rams here. I think they have the better offensive weapons in this game, especially with the Antonio Brown. I can't imagine he plays on the COVID list. Yeah, I really like Stafford on a competent team with a competent coach with actual weapons. He's like, and really like I said, solid. this is why they make that move to to win this kind of a game. Oh, for sure. This is 100% why they brought him in and got rid of Goff. They actually have a quarterback that can make plays and actually has a great arm. Yeah, I love their weapons. I'm definitely leaning the Rams' money line at home. Let's move on and go to another team in the NFC West. Is it the Seattle Seahawks? Heading to U.S. Bank Stadium to take on the Minnesota Vikings. Seattle's a short road favorite of about one and a half, two points. Total in this game of 55, which obviously is not a huge surprise when you look at the slugfest that Minnesota and Arizona played last week. Both of these teams are very crushing losses. Seattle also played a shootout of its own against Tennessee. I said it to you before we jumped on. I have a pass on on this side, I, I don't really know where this game goes um, because it is the home opener for Minnesota and, you know, home openers and look up teams and home openers, but, you know, it feels like, you know, kind of a last stand, maybe Minnesota already 0-2 now going back home. I said it to you before we jumped on though, that I would probably have played Minnesota had Seattle won and Minnesota lost instead of, both of them losing because then I think we'd see some real line value here. I mean, it is a two. I don't think this is going to get to three, um, but I do think it would have been at three, maybe three in the hook even, but you would had Seattle won and Minnesota lost. There just would have been a lot of line value to take Minnesota, uh, but I don't really see that now. And, you know, where's Minnesota? Where are they at? With, you know, they were one of the teams with the, if you buy into this stuff, like COVID vaccine stuff was they were one of the lowest vaccination teams. And it sounded like that was a big problem for Mike Zimmer and causing some frustration for them in training camp and the preseason. Now they're off to an 0-2 start. They lose a game on a last second field goal miss. Not really sure where things are at with them and where they're, you know, in Seattle, you know, they just choked too. And I don't know, like watching that happen and watching Derrick Henry run all over him. Tell me why Dalvin Cook couldn't do the same thing. So it's it's a pass for me uh, because I don't really feel that passionate about backing either one of these teams right now. No, it's really tough to get behind either of these teams. I actually have not one, but two referee trends here. You got wow. Jay Martin officiating. He's officiated 43 games, which is a small sample size, but visiting teams have covered 31 times out of his 43 games referee. That's 72%. And I kind of like Seattle here coming in there, but then you have Mike Zimmer, home crowd. You know, they always play better on defense at home. Kirk Cousins at home. It's really tough to get a side here, but I would lean Seattle here. So let's go to the primetime game, which 
is another AFC, excuse me, another NFC North, NFC West battle. Although this time the NFC West team is at home as it's the San Francisco 49ers. Short home chalk against the Green Bay Packers of about three and a half points. Does look like most books are shading that towards the Green Bay side. Green Bay, about $1.15, $1.20 you'd have to lay to get the three and the hook. So that would suggest this number could be ticking down to three. Total of 49 and a half. I like San Francisco in this spot. They dominated Aaron Rodgers twice in 2019, once in the regular season, and then once in that NFC title game. Uh, And the Sunday night football loss in 2019, it was right around Thanksgiving uh, in November. That was the worst loss of Aaron Rodgers' career. I mean, it is a front seven that can just humiliate opposing quarterbacks, and that's what they did against Aaron Rodgers. Now, their secondary is obviously a little banged up with Jason Verrett out for the season. And um, I know Emmanuel Mosley has been banged up. They had to sign Josh Norman to play. You know, basically he got thrusted right in there against the Eagles. And last week, Jalen Hurts and company just couldn't take full advantage. The 49ers are hopeful that Emmanuel Mosley will be able to return in their secondary uh, more running back problems for San Francisco as well with Elijah Mitchell not practicing, Trey Sermon in the concussion protocol, and Jermichael Hasty has a high ankle sprain. So the running backs keep dropping like flies for San Francisco. But, you know, the, the 49ers win by dominating the line of scrimmage. They're a good offensive line, good defensive line. As I said, I think the front seven could really harass Rodgers again. Debo Samuel has been off to an excellent start, leads the NFL in receiving yards. Uh, him and Jimmy G have seemingly clicked well ever since they've been together. Um, and we really haven't had a huge George Kittle game yet. So, you know, maybe this is a good spot for him. I know he was really good in that first game of the two that I mentioned in 2019, the regular season one. So I also just happen to think that this is a little bit of a baiting trap that the books are hoping. Here's here's that hook and here's Aaron Rodgers catching three and a hook. After a primetime win, when which you all watched him, yeah, he's back now, right? So uh, I'm not going to fall for that. I, I like San Francisco here. And come Sunday night, uh, you know, primetime game, looking for some action. I think I'll see myself on that side, laying the short number. Yeah, doesn't this feel like an absolute trap? You're giving Total Aaron Rodgers that many points. It, just feels like the books are begging you to take the Packers here. I I don't think I can get there with either side, but I did see Rodgers against the Niners, his career stats. He has 23 touchdowns and only five interceptions. But like you were saying, that front seven of the Niners is really solid. and The Packers didn't look that impressive last week, but – Granted, they came out in the second half. They dominated Aaron Jones, four touchdowns. I mean, they have all the weapons in the world. I just am worried about this Packers defense. Can they really stop anything? Granted, the Niners aren't that impressive. You saw last week, Philly really held them down. Yeah, it just feels like such a trap. I think we're going to have to pass. So let's wrap things up on Monday night football as it's the Philadelphia Eagles heading to Dallas 
to take on the Dallas Cowboys. Alex, you know I'm an Eagles fan. It just when your team's playing Monday night, like Monday is so much easier to get through. Sad to say that before we get in. The, in the <laughs> oh, absolutely. Just I mean, so I'm gonna wake up fired up on Monday night. Oh yeah, it's so fun. So against fun your, to be on prime time. Our arch rival. So I'm really excited to watch it. I don't know that I'm that excited to bet it as the Eagles are a three and a half point row dog total. Or it actually looks like there's still some fours out there. Total of 52. I will say I actually lean with the under, which kind of feels weird to say because we were talking about uh, earlier a couple of weeks ago saying, well, where could this total go? Because the Eagles just blew out the Falcons and scored 30 plus, And it was a slugfest between Dallas and Tampa in Raymond James stadium and that opener. And, and then in week two, neither offense looked that good. Eagles lose 17 to 11 to San Francisco. Cowboys get the walk-off field goal and win 27, 20 to 17, excuse me, against the chargers. Amari Cooper with a rib injury that's worth monitoring. Of course, as we record this, uh, we only have Wednesday practice tidbits. So the Cowboys and Eagles with the extra day, like we don't have anything yet on their injuries and what's going on there with uh, Amari Cooper. So monitor that. And if he's out, I think this total could tick down because what happened last week, Cooper was on the field and Dallas ran the ball really well with especially Tony Pollard, but Zeke had some nice runs as well. And, uh, you know, we all know that Dallas is not going to want to try and throw 60 times a game under Dak the way they did in week one against Tampa. Like, you know, with him getting back and, you know, coming back from that injury, I don't think they want to do it. And I don't think throwing 60 times is a recipe for success for anybody. So um, I think Dallas showed you that their defense looked to be, be improving last week. I know it was kind of a laughing stock last year, but with the defense off of a nice game and the rushing attack really having showed out pretty well last week against the Chargers, that kind of has me leaning under anyway. And then you look at the Eagle side of this, Miles Sanders, his last two games against Dallas, he's been excellent. So maybe this is more of a prop angle than an under angle. I just think that Philly is probably going to want to try and run it a lot too here. Sanders last two games against Dallas, 35 carries for 136 yards, nine catches for 104 yards. So, you know, I know that Devonta Smith, that'll be an interesting matchup. Smith going against Trayvon Diggs, a couple of Alabama guys on the outside. But if I'm the Eagles, I don't see why I wouldn't want to try and run Miles Sanders a lot here too. So I think it could end up being a game in which we see both teams with some good running backs trying to run the ball a lot. And uh, that would make me think under if I'm playing Monday Night Football. <laughs> I completely agree. I'm just so hesitant on taking the prime time under. Again. I know yeah, it's six and zero to the season right now. We got burned on that Raiders Ravens game under that went to overtime. So, of course, it goes over. That was brutal. It's just so it's so hard to get get behind these unders in prime time. I just feel like wacky shit happens all the time. But I will say yeah, last would, Monday night ended mean, up it wasn't like close as far as when the over hit, but the total points, uh, given that it was a high scoring first half, I think it was seventeen fourteen at halftime in favor of the Packers, and the game ends up landing thirty five seventeen. You know, so 
a total there of just 52 points. So it kind of ends up sneaking over. It, even though it still went, it still it still went, went over. I know, but I, I'm, I'm just saying that second <laughs> half was a lot fewer points and yeah. Detroit got shut out when you won that team total too. I mean, that's I was, and I, yeah. it was absolutely brutal. Detroit team total over 19 and a half, 17 in the first half. <laughs> yeah. And zero in the second half. Yeah. Absolutely brutal. I do like this game under. I hate to say it. It just feels a bit too high. I, I like what you're saying. I really love both these rushing attacks. I think they're both going to try to run the ball fairly often, especially after last week. We saw Hurts. It was fairly yeah. decent. And, and the other thing, Alex, like I was watching, obviously, religiously as an Eagles fan. They were taking a lot of shots down the field with Hurts, and they weren't connecting on a lot of them. I don't necessarily think that means everything is short, but I also don't think that means, well, let's just air it out and try more deep balls. Like, they had a Jalen Rager deep bomb get called back because it was a touchdown and he was out of bounds. They hit on one big play to Quez Watkins, but they really couldn't hit on any of the bombs to Devonta Smith. And as I said, Trayvon Diggs is a pretty good corner. If he's able to keep Smith at bay, like I just don't think it's in the Eagles' best interest to try and throw the ball deep a ton here. Yeah, Work the middle of the field absolutely. with your good tight ends. Let Hurts get him outside the pocket. Let him run right. on some designed runs. And the Eagles and have two running two backs. Better, yeah, been good they, too. yeah, the Eagles have two of the better tight ends in the NFL. I, would say. I think Goddard is one of the better weapons in the NFL at tight end spot. I think they're really – Check down and then divisional game. I really like what I saw from the Dallas defense last week. Held the Chargers at 17 points. I mean, granted, it was two red zone interceptions from Herbert versus Dallas, but they really impressed me last week. I think this is a, a great under spot, despite the trend of all those. All this primetime games going over. I think we're going to see two unders. I think we're going to see uh, I think Thursday night is going under. And I think, uh, yeah, this Monday night game is probably going to go under as well. Well, I think it's time for us to get under the sheets as it's been a, uh, a late night here recording another edition of Full <laughs> Slate. So on that note, let's uh, wrap things up for week three. He's Alex Uplinger at Alex underscore up seven and managing our podcast Twitter at full underscore slate underscore pod. I'm Greg Frank at undercover Greg on gambling Twitter. Alex, always fun, my guy. Let's enjoy week three. Yeah, buddy. I'll talk to you later. See you. All righty. There he is, Alex Uplinger. I'm Greg Frank. Again, this has been another edition of Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. Thanks to all for tuning in. And of course, please play responsibly.